As a part of National Hispanic Heritage Month, we are working through the Oxford's Latin American short stories. And today, we've got a good one for you. We are working on none other than Clarice Lespector's The Crime of the Mathematics Professor. Today, coming up. Welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. And I am Crypto, the history professor. If you are new to this channel, we go heavy into detail on the books that we read. We are really going to bring out some of the hidden meanings and interpretations behind the story today. If you're down for literature discussions like that, please consider hitting the subscribe button. And as always, we start off with publication information. This story was released in the Locas de Familia in 1960. And our version was translated by William Grossman in our Oxford Latin American short stories book. So Clarice Lespector, a name as infamous and as well-respected today her popularity has exploded recently and we're very excited to start digging into more of her work because this story is the perfect example of one of those just literary fiction works where with how we're going to handle today's discussion we're going to have completely different takeaways with the exact same statements have completely opposite opinions of what they mean but not disagree on the purpose of the story. It's the strangest thing I've ever experienced before. This story is truly unique among amazing great stories that we've covered on this channel. Because you and I read the same story, we came away both kind of scratching our heads thinking, this is what I thought, and we really don't agree on anything, which is interesting, except for that one point. All right, so for plot, the mathematics professor goes to the top of a hilltop where he can see the city and the church below. He has a bag with him and reveals that he has a dead dog that he plans to bury at the top of the hill. He recalls how he had a dog back home, and this is that dog's substitute. Since he was moving and couldn't possibly be burdened with moving and starting a job and bring his dog, he abandoned the dog. He is burying this dog almost as a self-penance for the sin of abandoning his other dog and plot. Very simple, straightforward story. And before we get into our analysis here, we're going to kind of do something unique where we're going to present questions and ideas of certain passages of the story. And then we're going to have sort of a debate or discussion on what our interpretation, what of that is. And we're taking kind of two sides of the same coin here where one of us will think what the dog represents and the other is going to say what the man represents. Because we are complete opposites, so we realize that the pronouns might get us into trouble here, but we're going to try to be as clear as possible with this. So first of all, why the title The Crime of the Mathematics Professor? So if you get a cat to claw it and it starts peeing in your house and you throw it out of the house, are you guilty of killing that cat? That's kind of the question that I feel like we get posed very loosely here, where this man is leaving the dog and we're asking, is it really a crime? Is it a sin for him to leave that dog behind and potentially be left alone to die without his owner to take care of him? Let's get into this, right? So in her early 20s, Clarice Lispector abandoned the Judaism of her youth, in part because she felt that the religion had failed her despite her childhood prayers. Her parents died young and without dignity, in her opinion, as her father was killed in a botched gallbladder operation. So this is the telltale sign of the author that was raised in a religious background but has become an atheist. And that author may have, we've seen, questions of what, what does religion mean to her still. So let's start with the most important line of the story. While I made you in my image, you made me in yours. Obviously, this is a biblical reference to Genesis 127. 
So God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them. So I feel like this one, if you think about as mankind represented by the man here, and the dog representing God here, in this case, he's saying that God created mankind in his own image. This is the dog viewing up as mankind of his expectations of what he expects from him. And I think that in reverse, there is this expectation of man, mankind, representing what the dog should do, and it isn't necessarily fulfilling that obligation. Now, part of where my story is going to be a little bit harder to convince people is most people think of God as benevolent, all-powerful, omniscient. I'm going to say for this interpretation, I'm going to go with actually this is a flawed God. Because you have to remember that this is Clarice Lispector, who believes that God failed her in some way. And that's a common question of, if God is all-powerful and all-good, why allow suffering in the world? And some people, a lot of people, just don't have the answer to that, and they turn away from God in that respect, because knowledge is something that's very important. <laughs> right? Tree, tree of knowledge. All right, let's go back to that story too, right? But here, I think with the God overlooking the hill and admitting that he's nearsighted, that he's straining to hear people's eyes, there's going to be a couple of points through here that I think I can. I would interpret this as Clarice is interpreting the man as a flawed God through this story. Since our narrator is God, the man is God, I'm going to say a flawed God, he's literally saying he's making the dog his underling in his image. He's going to mold and train and create this dog the way that he wants the dog to be created in his image and the way that he wants it to act. So let's look at some of the quotes in this story, right? I called you Joe in order to give you a name that might serve you as a soul at the same time. And you, how shall I ever know the name you gave me? How much more you loved me than I loved you? He reflected with curiosity. And in case there's any confusion, Joe is the dog's name. <laughs> that is important to note. That is very, very important. So I think this one, a lot of times people might focus in and get hung up on the end there with the love and the love. But I think it really comes down to this quote of the soul and the name. And I think that what we're seeing here is that man knows the name of God, whatever you may say to God. Uh, so the man, represented by mankind, knows the name of God, a.k.a. the dog. But the dog doesn't necessarily know the name of of, of what mankind's interpretation of is, is of it. Uh, so there is a miscommunication there. And I think that uh, it's definitely probably a one-way street on that miscommunication. So here's what's interesting for me. He says, I called you Joe in order to give you a name that you might serve that might serve you as a soul, right? So if, if in my interpretation, if the man is a flawed God, he says, I'm giving you the name Joe, right? I'm giving you Adam as your name. And then he flips it around and says, how shall I ever know the name you gave me? Well, if this God was perfect, wouldn't he know that we call him God? Like would, if, if, if mankind is the dog, he would know that that's master, that that's, that's God. But my point being is I think this is Lespector saying that this is a flawed God. He doesn't know everything that we're thinking. He's not perfect, and that's why he does allow suffering in the world, such as the surgery that her father went through. That's a good point. So we come to the next line. I recall when you were little, he thought in amusement. 
so small, cute, and frail, wagging your tail, watching me, and my discovering in you a new form of possessing my soul. But from that moment, you were already becoming each day a dog whom one could abandon. This one's a little bit difficult for me, but I think that if you look at the dog who's representative of God here from not just maybe a Christian perspective, but from any of the major religions, is that God can evolve and change depending on what religion you're viewing him, her, it from. If you look in scriptures for Christianity, God evolves and changes over time. If you look at the Quran, he changes. If you look at Hinduism, many different gods evolving in different things. Uh, and in this fluidity of it, uh, of being a wrathful God, a loving God, or an abandoning God, I think is kind of what is saying this change that's taking place here in the dog, which is representing God. So here we have, I recall when you were little. So I have to view this as the God that's creating man, right? Because since since God is able to see all the way your entire life from when you're born to when you when you die, he, this man sees the dog's birth all the way to death, right? Up, up to abandonment is, is the representation of death in this story. And I think what you see is God is actually abandoning mankind in Clarice Lespector's view, where this God is flawed. He's not perfect. He can't stop all suffering. And he's allowing and abandoning his creation because he's not all perfect and always there to love in, in the way that we saw maybe some wrathful versions of God, depending on which religion we're talking about to Crypto's point of view. And I think also you can make the argument here that the puppy, when it's first born, there's comparisons to being innocent. That is much like when God created Adam and Eve being innocent. They fell from grace because of something that they did as they as they broke their innocence and i think you can kind of see that with the story from a creationist perspective of how you interpret it from a flawed god's perspective we get which brings us to our next point there's a scene where the dog jumps up on the table to grab meat that he was forbidden from eating you finished up biting me and snarling i ended up throwing a book at you and laughing I think here my argument is that God, the dog, is taking something away from mankind. Um, and perhaps this is because mankind has sinned and not understanding God, the dog, uh, lashes out in retaliation. Uh, as a result, for his frustrations, the man is throwing the Bible or the rule book of God, breaking the rules, throwing it in his face, and then afterwards, expecting to be forgiven for that. So the man, representing mankind, is expecting the dog to just forgive him for what he did to him. God representing, the, being represented in the dog. Now, the way I look at it, this is the dog taking away meat from the man. I view this as, since the dog is representative of mankind in my interpretation, he's literally taking the apple from the Garden of Eden. He's taking the forbidden meat, the forbidden fruit from God at this point in time. And God's throwing the book at him. He's forgiving mankind the the rule book for life, very loose interpretation. He's giving man the Bible to say, here's how you need to act and love and to behave in order for me to allow you to come back into the kingdom of heaven. In the same way that this man, upset that the dog took this meat, is throwing the book, giving him the Bible to say, you know, you did wrong. Here's what you need to do to improve. I don't think you should be stealing my words for your argument. <laughs> well, that's what's so interesting about this story, right? We both agree that a covenant was broken. We both agree that in the Bible, mankind broke that covenant, and it was, and God tried to create a covenant with, and he tried to create 
this opportunities for man to show love back to him. But we completely disagree on the interpretations. I've never seen a story like this before. Pretty crazy. It really is. All right. So the next quote, I begin to realize that you did not ask of me that I should yield anything of mine in order to love you. And this began to annoy me. It was on this point of the resistant reality of our two natures that you hoped we might understand each other. Whew. Yeah, for this one, it was pretty straightforward for me. God, a.k.a. the dog, loves you unconditionally, right? And that man, as a, a flawed creature, a sinned creature, original sin, we can't understand unconditional love. You can say all you want about altruism, but we are selfish creatures. We will always try to survive. We always try to want and get more, more, more. And I think that man, representing mankind here, wants more. And that God, representing the dog, is loving the man back unconditionally, even after he kills him and even after he basically throws him away to the world. And then the substitute dog, even worse fate happens. Wow, this is just so interesting to me. So for me, God, aka the man in the story, is, is the flawed God. And it says that, that it, we didn't demand anything of him other than love. Right? That's, that's the only thing we require of God in theory. The theoretical exchange for exchange, getting into heaven is living the godly lifestyle, living like him. But we don't actually require anything of him other than his grace, other than living like him, well, depending on your view of salvation and grace, is one way of viewing this, that we don't actually require that much of God. He has given us the rule book for us to figure that out. Yeah, that's true. I think, again, it, just like this story, it comes down to a complete interpretation uh, and there's so many different views that you can take with that rule book, just like this story. But the anguish of existing is such a perfect way that it became an unbearable happiness. You would then leap and come to lick my face with a love entirely given, and a certain danger of hatred as if it were I who had revealed you to yourself through friendship. Now I am quite certain that it was not I who possessed a dog. It was you who possessed a person. I think this might be my favorite quote of the whole discussion we're having and story as well. I think here that the man, aka representing mankind, has abandoned his faith. Uh, he's throwing his, his Bible, his word of God, whatever you want to use in this case, at the dog, aka God. And the dog, representative God here, is given entirely up and he's expected nothing in return from him. And he's gotten nothing in return, but he's still willing to love unconditionally here. And that that relationship, while flawed, God, the dog, did that he best that he that he could, and it was man's fault, aka mankind. Yeah, I I love this part because I think this is Lispector for me saying that you can still love even without religion, right? If even if you accept or have the 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 thought, I shouldn't say accept, even if you think your God is not perfect. You can still love without that God, without that religion. There is the, the archetype for love and how to give unconditionally is given to us in the Bible. And even with or without that religion, I feel like what this is saying to me is you can still love unconditionally other people and show people what that means to give unconditionally. I think that's just a tough concept to to grasp, regardless of which side you would be on with us, yeah. right? <laughs> right? Right, right, That's a very tough concept for most people. 
So now here's an interesting point that I want to bring up when the man buries the dog. I, I noticed that the quote was, Then the man got up, shook the earth from his hands, and did not look back even once at the grave. And I questioned, what do you mean he shook the earth from his hands? That's a very interesting translation because most people in English would say he shook the dirt. He shook the dust from his hands, but that's not what this says. So I looked it up in Spanish to see if it was a similar translation. I know this was written in Portuguese, I assume, but I don't speak that. But I was curious what the Portu- what the Spanish version was, and it says, La tierra de los manos, which means the the earth from his of his hands from his hands so it it was translated in, in another language as earth as well what was your takeaway about that yeah i, I also keyed it on that word as well and here i guess and i think that this might be one of my loosest ones where i almost lean toward yours a little bit because that word seems very intentional correct the man representing mankind that is abandoning god aka the dog to their fate and that we've turned our back on religion, as she did as well. Yeah, so for my interpretation, this man is the flawed God. And he's turning his back on creation now. He realizes, in, in, in the spectors in the, in the book's view, that this is, this is a failed experiment. This is a failed creation. This, this thing that I created mankind is selfish. They're, they're crude. They kill each other. They steal from each other. They follow none of the rules that I've given. And I just have to accept that I made a mistake and I'm not a perfect God. And he's burying and moving on, abandoning his relationship, of which he had nothing expected of him other than to love. He's abandoning in this situation is my interpretation of this. And the last quote was, yes, he had done everything. His crime had been punished and he was free. So I think this is maybe making the argument that free will lets us be free from this relationship. Yeah, and I, I guess here when uh, we've been breaking this down again uh, from two angles the whole time, I focused in on the first part of the sentence. I felt like that that might have been more important because it could have read his he had been freed from his crimes and would no longer be punished. I mean, it could have been worded slightly different, but punished comes before free. And I think that it's trying to implement that idea of, of sin here more and the, the the problems of mankind more than the freeing uh, or the releasing of one's sins. So I just I felt like that she had to put that word first, maybe for a reason. Mm. This story, mm. Clarice <laughs> right? Spector, Ooh. kicking off our month of Latin American short stories with a bang. I, I'm telling you, I've been eyeing what everybody's saying about the Clarice Lispector, and I'm wondering if we just need to do a year of one Clarice Lispector story every month, because this is something else. Yeah, I think we need to find somebody out there also on uh, BookTube that's willing to do a uh, hashtag uh, Clarice Lispector with us for a year, because uh, uh, she comes out of the gate swinging. Uh, we can, and that can take us right into our rating system here. I don't know if I want to give it a perfect 10, because I didn't enjoy it as much the story itself but you can't argue the fact that this is one of the most unique stories if not the most unique story where i think both of us are right in in our interpretations it's a clear-cut 9.5 for me i mean maybe it could be a 10 but i always reserve the 10 for my most favorite can i have two favorites if i can have two favorites then let me give it a 10 i don't know 
I'll uh, let you have it's two our rating favorites. system. We, I'll, I'll have you two okay. favorite. Go for it. I, I, I think I want to give this a 10. Uh, I mean, to be able to have two clear-cut, distinct views and both be right, wow. That's just wow. That's all I can say. It's the strangest feeling that I disagree with your interpretation of it, but I, I dare not say that you were wrong. I, I completely agree that we can both be right on this. And, and can I say that there's a certain amount of anxiety I feel, I, I felt when reading this. I don't know how you felt, but there was just this engine, this hydraulic pump building up inside of me as I was reading this of just dread of where are we going with this? And, and when we found out that there's a dead dog in the sack, it was just like this hook that just nails you right in the face. Like this is, this is literature with a capital L. This this is something that that more people need to be talking and reading about. So I'm I'm up there with I'm a nine point five. This is clearly one of the most amazing stories. I've never seen a short story like this, where we've had these different interpretations, and I think some people can read this and never even think about this from the biblical standpoint. It's crazy. This story. It's so complex and layered. I just Clarice, you're amazing. Yeah. Hats off to you. Hats off to you. I, I feel your anxiety, but I also felt like frustration as well. Even making the video, sometimes mm-hmm. I felt like it was hard to articulate my side because yeah. you were so convincing. I was like, well, maybe <laughs> that is it. Am I wrong? But then I'm like, no, because I, I really do think this other way. And I think there is some validity to it as well. And it feels like it could just, it could weave. It's like a snake, uh, no pun intended there, Uh, back and (laughs) forth uh, in between the two. Like, it could be this one. It could be this one. Which one do you want to go with now? Because you got to pick. One is, one might be right. Oh, oh, is that one right? Is that one wrong? It's just, it's incredible how simple this story is, but one of the most complex stories we've ever read. I I just, I can't give enough praise to this story. Uh, I'll I'll tell you, it's probably going to be my pick of the month already. (laughs) Yeah, this is, this is. This is, this is, I'm speechless. That's all I'm going to say. We're going to close it out with that. So, so thank you for joining us on what we attempted to do with a breakdown here. There's, there's still so much more to talk about with this piece. It's really incredible. If you are down for literature discussions like this, we really would appreciate you guys joining us and hitting that subscribe button. If you're down for a, a year of Clarice Lispector, hit me up in the comments. Let me know if that's something we need to be doing. Peace. Una out.